Before I preach today, I'm going to take just a minute, and I invite you to pray along with me uh, about what we've heard this week uh, from Kamloops, the residential school that once uh, existed there, and the real tragedy that uh, we've been told about with the death and burial of 215 children, if not more. Uh, We've been struck by the reality of what happened in in those schools, and uh, I want us to pray as a congregation that God would be at work now uh, in the lives of people who are still struggling and in the future of our country as we seek to find healing and uh, move beyond uh, such, uh, such events, such realities. So let's pray together. Gracious God, we come to you uh, having heard this news and having been deeply saddened by it. Uh, Lord, even shocked as we have learned about the experience of young children in Uh, this specific residential school, and Lord, how uh, they weren't treated well, how many of them died, Um, God, for reasons that uh, shouldn't have been. And our Lord, we we, uh, come together now to pray. Uh, God, we would pray for the um, people who remember and who actually lived through that experience, that you would bring healing to their hearts. Lord, some of them, many of them still really struggle and there's great pain in their lives because of what they experienced as young children. And our God, we pray that you would bring healing to those hearts. Lord, we think of descendants of such people and um, they too struggle and hurt because of the implications of what happened in their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents' lives. And Lord, uh, there are so many people in this country, uh, people who just need you to touch their hearts very deeply, the indigenous people of our land. And God, we pray that you'd be very present to them. We pray that you would work by your spirit to bring healing into their lives. Uh, Lord, to help them move beyond tragedy and and real sorrow and mistreatment and uh, move forward, Lord, into a better life. Lord, you can make a difference in their lives, and we pray that you will. God, we pray for the leaders of our country, Uh, federally, provincially, leaders of the indigenous people. We pray that as they work together, and we pray that they will, they would find a way forward that is so much better than what our history holds. Uh, Give wisdom, Lord. Uh, Give humility. Give understanding. And Lord, give a new path and a new relationship that uh, we together might go forward to create a country uh, that is good and right and just before you. So Lord, We don't even know what to pray fully, but we pray that you would enter into this circumstance and that uh, you would bless and that you would heal and that you would help those who need it the most. And that, Lord, you would uh, create something new in our day, uh, something that is right and something that is good. We pray for the indigenous people, Lord. Bless them, help them, and cause them to know your presence and your goodness in this land. God, this we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, I'm going to speak for the last time on John chapter 11, the third of uh, three sermons in this short series. And I want to begin by telling you uh, just of one incident in the life of Moses. Moses was the great leader of God's people uh, so, so many years ago. He was a man who knew God. He met in the tent of meeting with God regularly. Uh, He was a man who had this deep, intimate relationship with God. He had seen God do so many great things. But there was a day in his life when he had a question for God. It was just in his heart. (laughs) 
And the question was this, God, show me your glory. He wanted to see the glory of God. He wanted to see the magnificence and the splendor and the majesty and the power of this God. He wanted God to open his eyes to see him more fully and more clearly. He wanted God to show him himself. And this God did. He put him in a cleft of a rock. And you might remember the story. He walked past his presence, went past Moses, and Moses was allowed to see him from behind because to see him in his face would be to take Moses' life. It's not possible for, that, for the human to see that. And I wonder, my friends, have you ever asked that question of God? Show me your glory. God, I've experienced you, and I know your goodness, and I've seen you work in my life, but I want more of you. I want to see, and I want to, want to understand your majesty, your power, your, your, your magnificence, your beauty, and so much more. Well, in this series, we have been learning about the reality uh, that, it's, that it's possible to see the glory of God. Uh, the story of John 11 is the story of the Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Today we're going to, as I say, look at the last portion of that, the actual raising of Lazarus. When Jesus performs the miracle and, and that dead man, one who was dead in a tomb for four days, walks out alive. I'm going to read this story to you uh, in, its, in its entirety just so you get the flow of the story. Here's my request for you as I do so. Put yourself in this story. Would you use your imagination? Imagine what people are seeing and thinking and feeling. Um, Look and see Jesus, see Lazarus come out of the tomb in your mind's eye. And as we begin, recognize that as Jesus walks toward the tomb, that's where this paragraph begins, we see the one who called himself resurrection and life, the one who has the power to resurrect those who have died, the one who is life and who has power over death. Recognize that as he walked toward the tomb, life was walking toward death, and a collision was about to take place. And we get to see what that collision produced. Can you do that for me? Well, let me read the story to you. John 11, as I've said, we're going to begin at verse 38, and we're going to go to verse 44. It says this. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, <clears throat> Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear, hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and, the cl and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And this is a remarkable story. I mean, it's, it's one of those uh, profound uh, uh, moments when God reveals himself to people. The story begins by Jesus coming to the tomb, as I've said, and he gives an instruction that the stone would be moved. He tells them, take away the stone. The response comes from Martha, and she says, basically, you know, in the very practical manner in which Martha operates, it's how she thinks, and, and in many ways she's right. It's common sense what she speaks. She said, but 
he, Lazarus, his body, has been in the tomb for four days. And in that Middle Eastern climate, she knows what will happen if that stone gets rolled away. The smell would be overpowering. And she says to him, essentially, says to Jesus, this just isn't a good idea. Well, I want to suggest to you in this statement, we see another collision. Life coming toward death. But here, the, the voice of Jesus spoken, the instruction of the Lord, being met with what I want to call today human response. See, Jesus has essentially given a command. The eternal Son of God has spoken and told people what to do in this circumstance. But Martha just doesn't understand. And, and she doesn't agree with what Jesus has said. And she shares her opinion with him. See, so many times in this text, I hope you have realized, people don't understand what Jesus has said or what Jesus wants. It's happen, it happens throughout the Gospels, actually, time and time again. I hope you see that in the Gospels. But go back to the disciples when Jesus said, we're going to go to Jerusalem. They didn't understand. They said, Jesus, when we were there last, they tried to kill you. If you go back, they'll try to kill you again. This doesn't make sense. And then Jesus said, well, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they think he's literally asleep. And they say, well, why would we go back? That doesn't make sense. He's getting better. They don't understand Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus travels to, to Mary and Martha and to their home. And the two sisters say the same phrase, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And they just don't understand why he hadn't come. Well, that brings us to this point. Another example of the same thing where Jesus says, roll away the stone. And it doesn't make sense to these people. Certainly to Martha, who likely became their spokesperson. You see, I want us to understand that time and time again, Jesus shakes up our perceptions of reality. He challenges our established beliefs. He takes our common sense and he rattles it by telling us to do something other than what we think is right and good and what makes sense. Happens in our lives, just as it happened then. Well, you see in this collision of God's instruction and human reason, huh, yeah, it still happens to us. God speaks, and so many times, we just don't get it. We don't understand. And we, like Martha, are ready to give our opinion and to disagree think about this we go to scripture that book that god's spirit inspired the spirit of christ inspired that we might hear his voice in our lives and the bible says when it comes to our financial resources give to me off the top give us a substantial amount to the work of my kingdom uh, use that those resources that i've entrusted to you in order to build the kingdom that christ came to establish and very often our response is, but I can't afford to do that. I, I can't. How about this one? The Bible says so clearly, do not be unequally yoked in Corinthians. And that has many applications, but one of the ones that is very prominent and, and most thought of is don't marry a non-believer if you're a believer because there's an unequal yoke, which uh, is not what God wants. And very often, having heard the voice of the Lord, our response can be something like, but I love him or her. 
How about, again, when we think of, of marriage, sexual relationship to be, uh, to be experienced only in the covenant relationship of marriage between a man and a woman. And we hear this and we think, but Lord, that just doesn't make sense to me. And we become the Martha, sharing our thoughts with God, pushing back. How about this one? Bible's so clear, God has spoken, forgive people who wrong you. And so often people say, but I, <laughs> why would I do that? They don't deserve to be forgiven. I'm not going to. See, I could go on and on. How about this one? Teenagers hear the word of God, which says, honor your parents. And they don't get it. <laughs> so often teens think, well, my parents don't know anything. Why would I honor them or what they say? And we push back. And we struggle to embrace what the Lord Jesus is telling us to do. You see, time and time again, when Jesus speaks, there's a collision between the voice of God and human reason. Well, in light of this comment by Martha, Jesus' response comes, and it's verse 40, again, of course, of uh, chapter 11 in John. Jesus, then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? You hear that again. Um, this, is the, this is the passion of Jesus. Remember, Jesus has allowed his friend to suffer and die so that people would see the glory of God, so people would believe and their eyes would be open to see that majesty and that power and that beauty and that greatness of God, to see God work in powerful ways, to see the remarkable God whom God is. The key word in this verse, my friends, I want to tell you, which Jesus uses is the word if. If you believe you will see the glory of God. You know, in this moment, Martha had a choice. Jesus had spoken. Jesus had told her what to do. She had pushed back with human reason. Said, if you believe me, you will see God's glory. And I want to tell you, so often we find ourselves in that same position. The same thing. Now listen, believing is central in the Gospel of John. Je John writes later on, he wrote the book that you might believe in Christ. I have read that 40% of the time that the word believe is used in the New Testament, it's contained within the Gospel of John. Jesus' heart is wired that these people might believe in him and believe in the Father who sent him. But the really critical thing about this word is the original word in verse 40, which is translated and to believe in English in our text. And it's, it's a Greek word, pistis. And, and it's, not, it's not a word that, that is really about a general sense of belief. As good as that is, I believe in Jesus as the Son of God. I believe he died for me on the cross. I believe he rose again from the dead. Of course, all that is a necessary thing and important. But this particular word would be be is better understood putting it in Jesus' <laughs> terminologies if, if he were saying, but I want you to trust me. Belief in that sense. Trust what I'm saying. Trust in me. And you will see the glory of God. You see, my friends, he is asking Martha and the others to literally take his words to heart and to trust what he says. And he's saying, if you will do that, then you will see the glory of God. 
Trust my thinking. Trust my words. Base your life on what I have told you. Even if and when these words of mine don't make sense to you. Now I want to I suggest this in our lives. If you're a believer, and if you have never, if you would, seen the glory of God, if you've never had those moments in your life when the magnificence of God overwhelms you and you're left in awe as these people would have been after Lazarus was raised from the dead, it's very possible that the reason for that is that you've never trusted Christ. Oh, you might believe in him, but have you trusted him? Have you trusted his words and obeyed them? See, if you've never given off the top, <laughs> And, and, and given as, as the Lord and has instructed, you've probably never had that experience of seeing God come and provide for all of your needs so that you're left in awe. If, if, if you haven't obeyed that command to have an equal yoke in marriage, if indeed the Bible is true, you've never experienced that deep fellowship that a husband and a wife can have, which, which the Lord wants for our marriages, and be left with a knowledge of the magnificence of God and his design and his plan. You know, teenagers, <laughs> if you've never honored your parents when it doesn't make sense to you, you've never had that moment of time when the Spirit of God reveals to you, you honored your parents and look what I have done for you. And, and see things work out better than they ever, you ever could have dreamed they might work out. Do you see it? When we take Jesus at his word, when we trust him in what he has said, it is then that the glory of God is revealed to us as people in this life. Can I put it in another way? What we have got to do is make Jesus Lord of our lives so that when he speaks, we listen, we embrace it by faith, we trust what he has said, and we do what he tells us to do. You see, in order to get to that point where Jesus is Lord, we've got to Say, I'm no longer Lord. I'm, I'm no longer Lord of my life. Christ is. And I'm going to trust his words. And I'm going to trust his teaching. And I'm going to do what he says. And in that place, my friends, it is there that the glory of God is seen. So the question for us, very literally, is very simply, who is it or what is it that we trust? Who do you trust? What do you trust? Do you trust yourself and your own reason, your own thinking, your own perceptions, your own thoughts? Or do you trust Jesus, his thinking, and his words? Um, do you trust the world, that system of values and, 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 and ideas, and trust what the world says or do you trust what Christ has said? You see, my friends, the Lord has spoken in so many profound ways through Scripture into our lives. And we have the blessing, the, the honor, the opportunity to take those words and make them our own. Trust in what Christ has spoken through his word. Live by them and see God's glory. I want to take you to a well-known passage in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 to begin. And they're well known for good reason. And I want you to apply these verses to what I've just said about trusting Jesus. Verse 5, Proverbs 3, says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust him 
and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Those are profound words. Trust what God has spoken. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't trust your own thoughts because when they conflict with the thoughts of God. And this idea of making your path straight, I've told you before, it's got this connotation of smooth, smoothness in your path. It's not going to be a rocky path. It's not going to be a path with huge hills to climb and struggle. It's not going to be a path that, that has obstacles in the way. No, it'll just be a smooth path, an easy road in life for you to walk with God. Let me go on. Uh, Proverbs 3, let me read verse 7 and 8. And this is the parallelism of Hebrew literature. It's a repetition of the same thought. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Can I ask you honestly, do you consider yourself wise in your own eyes? Well, God has just told us, myself included, not to be. To not take our own thoughts as gospel truth and the greatest wisdom of all time, but rather to fear the Lord, to acknowledge him, to hear his word, because if we will do that, the Lord God will bring health to our bodies and nourishment to our bones. It's the blessing of life that God has for us if we're but willing to trust Jesus in what he has spoken. Powerful teaching there teaching great significance for us. Well, let's go back to John chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 42, sorry, 41 and 42. It says this, just after Jesus, of course, has said to, to, to believe in him, to trust in him. So they took away the stone. They trusted him. They did what he had said. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Oh my goodness, the repetition, the, 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 the focus upon the prioritization of these people coming to believe, to believe in him, so as to give their lives to him, to follow him with all of their hearts. Then, the miracle itself, verse 43 and 44. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And that would have been an awesome moment. <laughs> Again, picture yourself with that crowd. Imagine, what are, the, what are the expressions on the faces of the people? What do they do? Are they stunned? Are they shocked? Did they fall to the ground in amazement? Did they start to weep in joy? Now, do the sisters run toward him, or are they, are they too stunned to move? It would have been an incredibly powerful moment for them. And I, I want to tell you, my friends, it all happened because of the command of Jesus. No, this is not a request. Lazarus, come out if you like, or God, if it be your will, I pray that... No, Christ spoke authoritatively. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, gave a command, and at his command... It says the dead man came out. Now note, it doesn't, says La doesn't say Lazarus came out. It could have. That was his name. But the text makes a point. It says the dead man came out. You know what? Dead men don't walk. Who walks? People who are alive again. People who have been raised from the dead. People who have experienced the one who called himself resurrection and life. Acting in such a fashion that life came back into that body. 
And a dead man, a dead man rose and he walked. You know, it's so interesting to me that in this instance, Jesus makes John eleven twenty five 25 a reality. He said, <laughs> I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he, oh, let me get that for you. I'm sorry, let me get that right for you. It says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And in this moment, he, makes, he, he brings that verse to life. He proves the reality of who he is and what he says about himself. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus had said. And here, this is proved. It is brought into reality. And Jesus says, take off those grave clothes and let him go. <laughs> what a sentence. Set him free from the bondage of death that surrounds him. And in this moment, my friends, Christ's power is on display and the glory of God is seen by those who are there. See, Jesus fulfills his purpose in this whole episode. It's all about this for him. It's why he let Lazarus die. It's why he stayed away so that this moment could occur so that these people could see the magnificence and the power and the majesty and the splendor, the glory of God. My friends, have you seen that glory? Have you encountered the Lord in, in such a fashion that you were blown away with his reality? Listen, I want to take a little diversion here and then tie this in in a moment again, but I want to talk to you just for a little while about the reality that what happened to Lazarus, for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who believe in him, for those of us who trust on a daily basis for our salvation, we believe this too will happen to us. The reality is that the death is defeated here. It's, that's displayed for us. The reality is that Jesus shows himself to be the one who has power over death. Jesus shows himself to be the one who is the resurrection and the life. Now listen, when we think about death, we often think about it as, can I put it this way, such a big deal. It, it seems irrevocable. It seems powerful. It seems final to us. But I want to tell you this. In Christ, it is not irrevocable, powerful, and final, such as this story describes to us. It teaches us this, this reality. With the presence of Jesus, <laughs> because of the cross of Christ, because ultimately of the resurrection of Jesus, his work of salvation... Death is defeated, the Bible says. Death is overcome in Christ. It even says in the New Testament that, that death is destroyed by Jesus. All of this is on display in the raising of Lazarus. And I want to tell you, my friends, this is an incredible reality. Yes, you know, we will die, all of us, unless Christ comes again before our time comes. But I want to tell you what is significant about that reality is that in our death, when our bodies cease to function, it just takes a word from the mouth of Jesus 
and death loses its power over us. He speaks, and if you would, we rise from the dead as did Lazarus. He speaks, and death is overcome. It is defeated. It is destroyed in our experience. Yes, we die. But as Jesus says, John eleven twenty five, we never die. We simply close our eyes. Our spirits leave our bodies. They carry on in life. They don't cease to exist in the presence of Christ because of his power. This is why I think Jesus, in this instance, describes Lazarus' death asleep, and Paul and others in the New Testament describe it as falling asleep because that's what it's like for a believer. It's not annihilation. It's, 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 it's not everything that, that, that we fear it to be or think about it. We are going to sleep to wake up in the presence of Christ because of the power of Christ, alive in him. So my friends, I want to say to you, don't fear death. I want to say to you, instead, trust in Jesus and what he has spoken and what he has done and what he has promised to us as we follow him by faith. You know, none of us wants to suffer as decline and death comes. It is the last enemy, as the Bible says, in a very real sense. But beyond death in Christ is his powerful word of resurrection and the reality of a life that is freed from death and from struggle and and from the bondages of death, as I've said. Take those garments off him and let him go, Jesus said about Lazarus. And we too break free. And I want to tell you, my friends, as we transition from this life through death into the next life, it is there that we will see the glory of God as we have never seen it before. It is there where our eyes will be opened and we will see the majesty and the power and the magnificence and the splendor of God as we have never seen it before. I've said it a a, a few times at a funeral, the, the day this person that we're considering breathed his or her last breath was the beginning of the greatest adventure of their lives in heaven with the glorious God. See, my friends, I I, want to wind down and I want to ask you again, as I asked you at the beginning, have you ever, like Moses, asked God to see his glory? Have you ever had this deep desire in your heart to have your eyes opened to see that majesty, that power, that majestic reality of who God actually is? Well, We want to see the glory. Let me sum up. Number one, we have to have the presence of Jesus in our lives. The Bible never says that what I've described to you about what is yet to come happens for anyone other than those who have trusted in Jesus. And if you have not yet, if you don't have the presence of Christ in your life, I don't care who you are and I don't care what you have done, you can have the presence of Christ. By simply opening your life to him by prayer, inviting Christ to become the Lord of your life, praying that he would forgive your sin and to be with you for eternity. Will you do that if you never have? Secondly, what we have to do, obviously, from the text is we have to trust Jesus. This is no stale belief system about the doctrines of the faith. This is a living, 
active, ongoing trust in Christ, which is rooted in our belief in who he is and, and what he knows, which is superior to our own, and his wisdom, which is greater than ours, and his love, which is only going to instruct us in a way that is right and good and for our blessing, that allows us to not lean on our own understanding. That allows us to acknowledge him as Lord and to live in obedience to what he has said. And lastly, if we want to see the glory of God, well, very, very simply, my friends, do what Jesus says, will you? Will you trust him to the point of actually putting into practice what he tells you to do? Roll away the stone. Don't argue with him. Just do it, and you will see the glory of God. You will see the Lord move in your life, both in this life and then all through eternity with him. My friends, are you willing to trust your life to Jesus? Are you willing to trust him that much? Are you willing to yield your life to him? Are you willing to honor Jesus as the Lord of your life? And are you willing to obey his word? I want to tell you, my friends, that is the place. That is the place that Jesus wants you to get to and to be at and to live in because there it is, it is there that you will experience his glory. Your eyes will be opened and you will see and you will understand like Moses did, like Mary, Martha, and all that crowd that was present. You will understand the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes it's just a challenge for us to get beyond ourselves and our own thinking and our own pride, um, our own confidence even in our own thoughts, and to get before you in humility and in trust and to take your word to heart and to base our lives upon it simply because you've spoken it. God, I pray uh, for those who are listening today and for myself, God, give us the wisdom and the understanding. Lord, to acknowledge you as Lord, to not lean on our own understanding, but to hear what you have to say to us through your word and then to do it so that there, Lord, we might find life abundant, so that there our eyes might be open to see your glory as we haven't seen it before. Lord, I pray for every single person who's listening today. I pray that they will have an experience of seeing your glory because they've stepped into what has been taught today through John 11. God, speak to them so that they know your voice. Speak to them, Lord Jesus, so that they hear you and then so that give them the grace so that the, each one of them will act in obedience to what you have spoken. Lord, you want us to see your glory. You want us to end up amazed at what you have done. Make it happen in our lives, Lord. Like Moses, we pray, show us your glory. And this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.